Welcome to Wild Speculation. I'm Andrew Rising, and I will be your guide on this journey through the strange, wonderful, and sometimes disturbing worlds of speculative fiction. Today we will explore the world of mythology, and one myth in particular that has always fascinated me. In it, the choice of a single animal helps to determine the course of history for all of Western civilization. Why did she make the choice she did? And what if she weren't merely an animal? Sit back, ponder these questions along with me, and enjoy. Legacy of the She-Wolf Alone, as I am always alone, I creep slowly down to the riverbank and see a basket stuck in the reeds. I freeze. Are humans nearby? I can't smell any, except a strange yet familiar scent rises from the basket. I want to dart forward and investigate, but a lifetime of pain has taught me caution. First, I must make sure no one is waiting to spring a trap. Humans think they are sneaky. They think that, since I rely on my nose, I won't find them upwind or in the water. But I know better. I know all their tricks. I search upwind and scour the river, but find no one. The basket must have been dropped or forgotten and floated here. As I approach the basket, the scent washes over me. It almost smells like... Except, no, who would do something like that? But when I nudge the top off the basket, my nose is confirmed. Two sleeping human babies. The fur stands up on my back. A low growl rumbles uncontrollably out of my throat. Humans have caused me nothing but pain for years. I have been rejected and reviled ever since I... changed. I will never forget the day it happened. Never forget opening the door and collapsing as the sobs I'd held in for days escaped me. I was home. Finally, I was safe from those horrible mercenaries who had passed through the village five days earlier and kidnapped me. Still, a part of me couldn't believe it was over. The mercenary captain's words before he let me go burned in my mind. You can leave now. Go home if you wish, fella. It doesn't matter. In a day or a week, they will cast you out again, and you will have no choice but to crawl back to me. Mama would have nothing but contempt for me now. Not that she'd ever approved of me before. But Papa? Sweet, gentle Papa? Surely he would still love me, still want me near. Hello? Who's... who's there? Mama's voice cut through the darkness. It was the first time I'd ever heard her scared. It didn't last. As soon as she lit the lamp and saw me curled on the floor, the biting tone I'd known my whole life returned. Vella! So you decided to return. Did those mercenaries finally tire of you, harlot? Was the week of their rough embraces worth it? Worth never catching a husband? I can't even bear to look at you, you ho- Fella? Fella, is that you? Oh, my dear little girl has returned. Papa, awakened by Mama's yelling, rushed out and gathered me in his arms. I let myself collapse against him, my sobs intensifying. Oh, Papa, it was horrible. They took me, and they... Mama glared down at us. Oh, I see. 
We're just going to take the stupid girl right back in. Never mind that no one will marry her now. Never mind that we'll have to support her the rest of our lives. Never mind that her brother will have to support her after we're gone. We're just going to welcome her back and pretend she hasn't ruined the family because you're spineless and let her get away with everything. You're weak. You've always been weak. And you're at your weakest whenever you're dealing with that, that girl. I felt Papa stiffen with each new insult. And as he did, my sorrow turned to anger. How dare she attack Papa? Her insults towards me I could deal with. But Papa, the gentle, loving man who cared so much for us all, that was unacceptable. Before I could act on my anger, Papa gave me a squeeze, then stood up to face Mama. I will not apologize for being glad our little girl is home, Perka. I was worried for her safety, and I know she is not the kind of girl to willingly run off with a group of ruffians like that. They must have taken her. You're so blind when it comes to that girl. I've heard the other women in the village talking. They saw your precious little Vela practically throwing herself at those wild men. If you let her stay here, she will be nothing but a burden, sinking the fortunes of this entire family. Now be a man and kick her out. As Mama hit Papa, something surged inside me, something new and angry and scary and right. I lunged at her, snarling, and knocked her to the floor, my fingers tearing at her arms, my teeth sinking into her neck. You don't hit Papa, ever, understand? My words came out in a low growl, not my voice at all. It startled me, but stronger than the surprise was the glee I felt staring down into her terrified eyes. Perka! Papa shoved at me, trying to push me off Mama. But he couldn't force me off, so he looked me in the eye. Get off my perka, now! His voice was so cold, his eyes so empty of the love he'd always shown me, that I retreated away from Mama. He wrapped her in his arms, just as he'd done for me moments earlier. Oh, my perka, my perka, what did that monster do to you? Monster, Papa? I did it for you. She hit you. I couldn't let her do that, could I? He didn't even look at me as he said the words that broke my heart. You're not my daughter. You're some demon come to replace her. My perka is right. You must leave and never return. But, Papa, I... No. You revealed your true face, demon, and it is hideous. My Vela is dead. I want you to leave this house and never come back. Don't torment me with lies in her voice. I didn't know what to do or what to say. All I knew was that I was different. Different, but still me. Still Vela. I covered my mouth as I choked back a sob, only to find that my face actually was different. My mouth and nose extended from it in a narrow protrusion covered in hair. Filled with terror and sorrow, I fled. The last thing I heard in my childhood home was Papa soothing Mama where she lay bleeding. I kept running, out of the village and into the hills, until dawn, when, exhausted, I collapsed next to a pond and bent to drink. The face I saw looking back at me was frightening, covered in a thin layer of brown fur, the ears long and pointed, 
The nose and mouth stuck out from my face, and the teeth, the teeth were long and sharp, like a wolf's. A face not even Papa could love. In a day or a week, they will cast you out again, and you will have no choice but to crawl back to me. The mercenaries had made me like this, like them, and now no one else would take me in. And so, though I hated myself for it, I found my way back to the mercenary camp. People, always fearing and rejecting what they don't understand, and if they do understand something, or think they do, they try to control it. In this way, the mercenary pack was not so different from humans, which is why, after two years of traveling with them, I decided to leave, not that I'd ever found any better options elsewhere. In the growing light of dawn, I looked around at my sleeping pack. I had waited until it was my turn to take morning watch, so I could leave without them trying to stop me. As it is, they still will probably try to hunt me down. The thought gave me pause. If I'd left and the pack found me, what would they do? And if I escaped them, where would I go? Home clearly wasn't an option, and I had always had someone. First my family, and later my pack. I had never been alone. Still, if I didn't go, I would have had to continue to endure the abuse. As the youngest female in the pack, I was a target for every male. They all tried to mate with me, some forcefully, when they were wolves. Later, when they were human again, they would shrug it off and say the animal made them do it. A couple of the younger males had even tried to force themselves on me while human, but still blamed it on the animal when I confronted them later. The other females turned a blind eye, maybe glad it wasn't them getting that kind of attention. I tried to confront Semni, the captain's mate, but Semni just scoffed. Oh, Vela, stop complaining and enjoy the attention while it lasts. Soon enough they'll tire of you, then turn to another girl. Then you'll just be another member of the pack. Nothing special about you anymore. No, I have to go. Now. If I don't, I will be consigned to waking up next to these beasts for the rest of my life. I muttered a quick prayer as I strapped a large pouch with clothes and some food onto my back. Menvra, guide my mind. Help me find the wisest path. Norcia, guide my feet. Give me good fortune when my wisdom is not enough. Once my pouch was secure, I transformed. The fine hairs on my body became thick, dark fur. My nose and mouth grew out from my face. My muscles and bones shifted and changed as my arms became legs. As they always did, my senses sharpened with the change. My heightened sense of smell could pick out a deer upwind of our den. If I want to avoid being found, I'll need them to lose my scent. To the river, then. I made my way to the nearby river, hoping it would be enough to help me escape. The water was freezing cold, small chunks of ice still floating in it, not quite melted in the early spring. My hackles rose as I splashed into the frigid water. I made my way as far downstream as I could before the cold became unbearable. Lunging up out of the water, shaking it out of my fur, I trotted on, warming up while laying a false scent trail away from the river. When I finally warmed up again, 
I got back into the river and continued downstream. I hope this works, or I am freezing myself for nothing. After three weeks of running south, I finally slowed. I had been running hard, stopping only to sleep. The food in my pouch had run out after the first week, and I'd had to hunt as I went. Unfortunately, not yet used to hunting on my own, I had only caught two squirrels, a vole, and a few mice, so I was hungry and tired. Though I was finally confident that I had escaped the pack, now I needed to figure out what to do next. I can't continue like this on my own. I need help. But where should I go? I don't know how to find another lycanthrope pack, even if I wanted to. Humans and wolves both hate my kind. But I have to do something, or I won't survive. My best chance, I decided, was to try to pass as human. Before I was turned, humans had never treated me as roughly as the pack did. Not even Mama's scorn could match the fury of an angry lycanthrope. Maybe it really was the animal inside my pack that made them act the way they did. Maybe, as long as I never let any human I met know what I was, I might have a chance to be safe and happy. I was, of course, horribly naive. Following human scent and tracks, I made my way to the closest village. Despite my hunger, I stayed away for two days, watching from a bluff above the village to see what kind of people lived there. I was impressed. The people of this village seemed like kind and decent folk as far as I could tell. They treated each other with respect as they interacted in the streets. I decided to see if they would let me stay there. I retreated into the forest where I was reasonably sure I wouldn't be spotted, then transformed into a human. As I put on the clothes from my pouch, I considered what sort of story would be most likely to persuade the villagers to let me live among them. If I have living family, they will want to send me back to them, so I need to be alone in the world. But I also need a story that doesn't lead them to question my character. Once ready, I made my way to the village and staggered into the square. Hello? Can someone help me, please? An older woman drawing water from the well ran to me, and I let myself collapse into her arms. Hush, child. We'll help you. What's the matter? My father. Bandits. I ran. I pretended to cry, only to realize that the tears on my face were very real. Shh, shh, shh. You're safe now. No one is going to hurt you. You and your father were attacked by bandits. I nodded, my face buried in her shoulder. Did this just happen? I shook my head. They attacked us yesterday. My father told me to run, so I did. I haven't eaten, haven't slept, just kept running, afraid they were going to find me. As if to reinforce my point, my stomach growled. The old woman stood up and helped me to my feet. Well, you're safe now. Come, let's get you some food. You can answer questions while you eat. I smiled at her with what I hoped passed for a shy, grateful smile. Thank you. Later, after I had eaten, the old woman had me lie down in her own bed. As I was drifting off to sleep, I could just make out what she was saying to the village auger in the next room. Can't turn her away. Her father is probably dead. I could use the extra hand with the cheese making anyway, 
so she can stay with me. All right, Daddy. If you take responsibility for her, she can stay. At least, until I consult the signs. As I drifted off to sleep, I wondered what signs the auger would find. Would they discover my secret and drive me from the village? Still, as I lay there in a soft bed, with a belly full of food, the worry couldn't wipe the smile from my face. I felt safe for the first time in months. For six months I lived with Adi. She was wonderful. She taught me how to tend the goats and make cheese, and treated me like her own daughter. Only a year before, her husband had died, leaving her with no children, so she was happy to take in someone who could help with the work. Though the rest of the village was nice enough, it was clear I would always be an outsider to them. Still, I had found a place where I could make a life without fear. Or so I thought. After a few months, I noticed Kutu, the son of the auger, giving me looks when he came to trade for milk and cheese. The same look the males in my pack had given me. Still, I thought I was safe. As long as he just looks, it doesn't hurt anything. I don't want to cause trouble. Maybe I should have said something. It might not have helped, but it couldn't have made things worse. One day, in early fall, while Adi was out visiting neighbors and I was alone at her house making cheese, Kutu came in with one of his friends. Adi isn't here right now. If you come back in an hour, she should be back to trade. We didn't come to see Adi, girl. We came to see you. I stiffened. What do you want with me? Oh, just to have some fun. I knew what they wanted as they moved toward me. The hungry look in their eyes told me everything. I tried to fight them off, picking up the cheese press and swinging it at them. They laughed as they dodged. Then Kutu grabbed my arms and pinned me to the wall. I think it's time I welcomed you to the village properly, don't you? His breath reeked of wine. I struggled against him, but as hard as I tried, I couldn't break free of his grip. And so, for the first time in six months, I changed. And I ripped them to bloody shreds. As I looked around at the carnage, blood on the walls, Kutu's severed arm bleeding on the cheeses, his friend mangled beyond all recognition, I knew I couldn't stay. After all, why would they believe the story of an outsider? And even if they did believe that they had attacked me, how could I explain what happened next? So once again, I ran knowing that both humans and lycanthropes would only accept me if I let them own me, define me, control me. It was hard being so alone. The first time I got lonely, I tried to join a pack of wolves, but they never even let me get close. I think they could smell that I wasn't one of them. Still, forced to choose between a life alone and a life constricted, I chose to live free and solitary. It was the lesser hardship. But now, as I look down on these two little boys, the first people I've seen up close in months, I am filled with conflict. I want to tear into them, punish them for the evil of their kind. But how would that make me any better than the people who hurt me? These little boys have also been rejected, cast out, sent to live on their own. An ache fills my chest as one of them wakes and starts to cry. 
I realize just how much the solitude has affected me, how desperately I want to be around people. And here are two babies. They need someone even more than I do. I allow myself to change back into the form I was born with and pick up the crying child. As I bounce him, he looks up at me and smiles. I smile back. These children will be my answer to this cruel world that cast me out. Hello, I say, speaking for the first time since I left that village so long ago. I will call you Rumolos for the river I pulled you from. And, like that river, you and your twin will sweep away all that stand in your path, whether they be human or lycanthrope. The baby coos up at me. He seems to like the idea. Yes, I will be your mother, and you will be my vengeance. Thank you for listening to Legacy of the She-Wolf. If you enjoyed this story, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. If you would like to help Wild Speculation continue to grow and thrive, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash wildspeculation. And for updates about the podcast and other projects I'm working on, be sure to follow me on social media at twitter.com slash wspeculation and at facebook.com slash wildspeculation. I'm Andrew Rising, and this has been Wild Speculation. Until next time, let your imagination run wild.